Welcome to another edition of the uh, Life of Brian dot 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 Mannix, that is, podcast. I'm just the dot dot dots. My name's Kevin Hillier. The Mannix and the Brian part of it is this particular human being who joins me for this podcast. Hello, Brian Mannix. Hello, uh, Kevin Hillier. Uh, yes, Brian Mannix. It's it, Somewhere along the track it became one word. You know, it's not Brian or Mannix, it's Brian Mannix. I'm oh, okay. Um, I remember my little nieces um, over in Adelaide saying, hello, Brian Mannix, how are you, Brian Mannix? And <laughs> I said, well, okay, I'll become Brian Mannix, which is fine. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. But do you get that? Are you, hello, Kevin Hillier? How are no. you, Kevin Hillier? No. Only, well, only only some people use my whole name. Most people just call me Kev. But, um, yeah, there are some people who do the Kevin Hillier thing. I mean, it's always, it's amazing how you sta- almost stand to attention when someone says that. I have some people that, Call me Brian Mannix, and other yes. people call. What what does prick mean? Because <laughs> I hear that a lot. Oh, um, when you look it up in the dictionary, there's a photo of you next to it. Right, yeah, that's right. And um, <laughs> look, I, I need to look it up in the dictionary because I, hey, prick, yeah, you prick, and I'm and I'm going. Well, it, it must be some form of compliment, I guess. Yeah, well, when it comes from your children, you think it means father, but it apparently doesn't work like that. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, That's probably how it gets the whole thing started. But uh, there you go, and here we are. We have a great show coming up. Uh, we've oh. set a set a big benchmark, but we've got two uh, two terrific oh. people on the program this week. Oh, I'm very excited fantastic. about it. Fantastic. One, excited. a fantastic singer and musician. Yep. And the other, one of the greatest celebrity chefs the world has known. You know, we've got uh, well, we've got Michael Spivey from the Bad Loves On. Yeah, hang and on. We've got Jamie Oliver is on the show today, and that's I'm really excited about that because I like my cooking shows, and uh, Jamie is Brian, one of the best. Brian, well, it's uh, Damien Oliver, Damien. the jockey, the jockey, the jockey, Damien Oliver. You know Damien Oliver, the jockey. Oh, I'm sure you've done gigs yeah, with well, him. Well, okay, let me ask you a very sensible question. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to cook on a horse? Well, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Well, yes. we can find out when we speak to. Jamie slash Damien Oliver later in the show. Well, yes, Lubbly Jubbly. <laughs> wouldn't you love hey. a horse? Wouldn't you love a horse to be called Lubbly Jubbly? Why good. would you like that? Well, because that's what Jamie L- Oliver says all the time. Lubbly Jubbly, here we go, oh. off we go. Yeah, we're going to cook this, we're going to do that. See, I'm not really that big a fan of Jamie Oliver. You, well, I, you uh, me I, out here. I'm not, but I had Keith Scott on one of our other podcasts recently on the uh, Food Bites podcast, and Keith Scott is a, an impressionist, obviously, and he does a great Jamie Oliver. He did Jamie Oliver for us, and uh, you would have swore blind Jamie Oliver was standing in the route, and he said, Lubbly-jubbly, here we go. We're going to cook this. We're going to put this over here with this and do that and all that. Anyway. Who's the one? Who's a Nigella? She's the sexy celebrity chef. <laughs> Nigella and Damien, Damien Oliver. Good God. Nigella. Why don't we get Nigella on? Because she could go, and now I'm putting in two big scoops of ice cream. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's divine. Oh, she always yeah. sounds like she's making love or something. <laughs> well, I it's... think that's on purpose, Brian. I've seen a thing where they mash up all of her bits and it just turns into I a beg porno. Your pardon? Well, no, they don't. <laughs> well, they get a bit here. Jesus, they grab a bit of. They, they get about 13 menus, right? And they go, they take this line here and they take this line and it just sounds like something out of 50 Shades of Grey because oh, it's yeah. like, oh, this is just 
gorgeous. Oh, and, yeah. oh look at those big scoops. And, <laughs> yes, oh, it's yeah, all quite right. firm okay. and all, all right. this sort of stuff. All right, Brian. Getting a bit, getting a bit excited myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm, going to be, I'm going to put this back, uh, this uh, this podcast back on the rails and talk about Murcots, our wonderful uh, partners in rum, this podcast. Rum. Yes, yes. Uh, Just doing now, Murcots to help you out. Thank you, Murcots.edu.au. Uh, that's the website. We can find out all the details of uh, what you need to know about them. One three hundred triple five five seven six is their number. Uh, we're not all the drivers that we think we are. You do need to drive on the road uh, as if you're not the only one on the road, and they'll teach you some defensive driving techniques uh, for yourself and uh, for you, be it someone who's just getting a licence or be it someone who's had a licence for 20 or 30 years. There's a lot of people uh, since COVID jumping into the commercial world of driving as part of their new employment and uh, not uh, not with the skills that they should have. That's where they're Murcots can come in and help they're you. They're dickheads. <laughs> I mean that in a positive and constructive way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. So now, it's murcots.edu.au, one 555576 is the number. All right. Now, can I mm-hmm. ask you something about Murcots? You can. I'm not sure I'll be able to now, answer it. Now, if I, I wanted that. to suddenly do some illegal drag racing and some get what? in some burnout, some burnout <sighs> competitions, would Murcots no. help me or would they say... No, you're an idiot if you do that. I hope they would tell me I'm an idiot. They would because they and they know because they would have it on file that in 1985 you did the Murcott's Defensive Driving School as part of your uh, license requirements school. for the Grand Prix. That's right. You had to have a CAMS license. Yeah, so I had a CAM. I had a CAM license for 24 hours. That's right. They couldn't wait to grab it off me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you were giving them a bad name. That's a, that's a very good thing. But don't well, know, Murcott's, uh, they're, they're sensible people. Look, it's all about getting in your car and getting home alive at the end of uh, at the end of your journey, and they can help you help you sort that out. So that's uh, that's look, what they do, murcott's.edu.au. Now, Brian. Every week in Victoria, hang on, I'm still on the Murcott's, every day in Victoria alone, 50 people are injured in a car accident. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And so it's very possible you could be in a car accident, yet people think that they're never going to be in a car accident, but they all believe that they can win Tats Lotto. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. That's right? a really that good point. Deep, wasn't it? Uh, in, terms of driving, <laughs> in terms of driving, you'll feel like you've won Tats Lotto when you get behind the wheel after you've done the Murcots course, so uh, give them a call. one three hundred triple five five seven six. 555 Speaking of giving people a call... Let's give a call to our first guest on this program. I love this band. I think they're fantastic. Uh, have since the first time I heard Lost, I went, oh, wow, isn't that a good yeah. song? So let's get to the man who uh, who writes all the songs and sings all the songs from the Bad Loves. It's Michael Spivey. Kevin. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm damn fine. How about you? I'm very well, thank you, sir. And I have Brian Mannix with me as well. So we're an exalted company, uh, you, me and Brian. G'day, Michael. Oh, How are you going? Good, matey. How about you? Oh, pretty good. Damn fine. We're going to have a chat with you about uh, all things bad loves for, for a little while, if that's all right with you. Oh, if you must. If <laughs> you must. <laughs> all right. So uh, tell us where the band is at, like right now, where are you at? We're flat out in the in the studio at the moment, so, so which is a nice place to be. Recording new material and um, getting ready for gigs. Should they ever start up again? No, we've got a touring line, so so we're pretty happy about that for April. So um, nothing really has changed pre-COVID to now. So pretty lucky there. The the new songs that you've done, Michael. They um, it sounds like the band just kicked off where they left off. They're um, right right on the money for a bad love sound and song. I think they're great. 
Um, oh, thank you, mate. Yeah. Is it the original thank lineup you. again, or is there a few changes? Or no, it's constantly. It's like a revolving door. Makes me dizzy, you know. But then, I guess we kicked off sort of 1989, 1990, and uh, over that period of time, whatever the hell that is, thirty odd years, is it thirty years or something? It just doesn't hang together. I, I'm, I've got a lot of um, respect for people that can hang together for that amount of time, but. Uh, we've still got a couple of uh, original members still play, so. and uh, new drummer, new new um, keyboard player of recent times. Still the same sort of lineup of Hammond uh, bass drums, guitars, and, and Hammond. Have you actually ever counted how many incarnations uh, there've been? It's a bit like the James Bond franchise, isn't it? It's sort of, <laughs> sort of it's always James Bond. It's always the bad guys, but there's kind of different people popping in and out every couple of years. Yeah, but even James, he's he's a different bloke. He's been yeah. faced with every couple well, of years. Well, yeah, you're, you're the James Bond of the bad loves. Let's not muck around here, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to set up. <laughs> so you're the Roger Moore of music. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd have his car, but apart from that, I'm not interested in the Roger Moore side of things. No. I was listening to you, the band, the bad loves. It's almost like yes, very seventies influence. Would that be fair to say? I guess so. I'm not quite sure how it works um, chronologically because, you know, you get your influences when you're a kid and then, then as a teenager, I guess. Mm. And because uh, and I grew up in the 60s and, and, and I was aware and had a record collection in, in the 70s. Um, so, so, so who I were you listening to in the 70s, Michael? Were you, were you like the Who and the Rolling Stones or who were you listening to? No, I, I was listening to, to Credence. You know that, that old question everybody asks, was it's either Beatles or Stones, which yeah. one was it? Yeah. And I was listening to Credence. That, they were the ones that really um, switched me on well, that, uh, in, in terms of my own music. Yeah. Well, that's the, what strikes me is, is your 70s band. I could imagine the Bad Loves playing at Woodstock or playing with Credence or, you know, is, it's um, it's a really great sound and I, I, I love it. But um, I just was interested um, whether whether that was just – just became that way or you actually, you know, were influenced by 70s music. So it sounds like you were. Yeah, but, you know, t- to be honest, because I'm, I'm a bit bit lazy and, and so a lot of that stuff crept into the music, I guess, but but really I was more interested in songs. I mean, I, I wanted to be a jazz guitarist, but I just wasn't good enough. But I get, kept getting distracted by writing songs, melodies and, and, and words and stuff. So, so whatever came out with the Bad Loves, style thing was, was definitely a second consideration. It was just, we're just chasing songs and yeah. and then trying to keep it pretty real instrumentation wise. You know, that, there wasn't there wasn't a master plan or a style thing and and the good the good part was we got we got rejected by virtually every label under the sun. So we were blessing in disguise because we had plenty of time just to suit ourselves and just immerse yeah. ourselves in songs. You know, we, we didn't have a Trajectory, a commercial trajectory, or anything like that, planned for us. So, uh, so that that was kind of a yeah, like a blessing. Really, we, we had a lot of time to develop. Lucky, yeah. Um, Cutting your teeth on the Melbourne pub scene is a, is a pretty good playground to be uh, to be learning your craft. I would have thought. Yeah, how, how good is that? I never thought twice about it when I was coming through. I don't know about about you, Brian, but but the pubs. You know, you just I thought just everybody must have lots of pubs and everybody plays music. <laughs> so yeah, then you, you you zoom out and have a look at the thing. And there's only a couple of places around the around the planet that actually have had that sort of vitality. Really, those sort of hot hot spots like Melbourne, incredible, yeah. incredible. 
I was just going to ask you, what's the favourite part for you? Is it the songwriting, is it the performing, or is it the recording? Or the waiting around? <laughs> you come up with some of your best creativity when you're waiting around. Cause you've yeah. got to amuse yourself, don't you? No, I, my favourite thing is the, the writing because I'm basically a hermit. So so I, I just love, you know, mucking around with new ideas or uh, well, things that I think are new at least. But I'm happiest just writing and in the studio and just tra- – well, I love travelling. Yeah. So and, and and that uh, something about momentum of travelling is really a natural thing for me to to start writing. Like I write when I drive. Okay. Which was a good way to fill in my truck driving years um, because <laughs> plenty of time. So the writing thing always. I was really bad on stage, uh, <laughs> like terrible, and, and really nervous and, and stuff early on. So. You should, that have, wasn't good. you should have a couple of beers before you go on, Michael. That always uh, helps me. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, there, there were a couple of beers. Hey, and, hang, on. And a few hang on, you mentioned truck drive. Were you a, do, do, is that one of your pre kind of or in the early days of the band? Was that what you were doing for a living? Yeah, I drove buses um, and and later on trucks and things because my dad was a driver as well, my brother. Um, but not not really early days. Just all through it. <laughs> All throughout my career, because it's pretty hard, Yakka earning earning a, an income with a family to look after. Um, you know, there's got to be some way of earning money. So, so instead of playing the bands that I didn't want to play in to earn money, I, I went back to driving or uh, swimming teaching, whatever, just be labouring, whatever I could do, just to pick up some money. But that's been all the way through. I've got to say, if I'm honest, are you the youngest in the family? Third, with three boys. I'm the third, third in line there. So you're the so, youngest of the three boys? Uh, uh, sorry, four boys. Did I say three men? Yeah. You, um, you four lost boys. A, and you I'm lost one boys. there, Michael. <laughs> look, they told you to look after your little brother and you come home alone. Goodness me. Well, no, no, exactly. He's taken off to bloody Vancouver, so, so oh. I've, I've, um, I've done a bad thing there. I've let him go. The reason I ask is that um, I found that a lot of musicians and actors and that, the, the creative ones, are generally the youngest ones that decide, I'm going to do anything except what mum and dad or my older brother and my dad do. So that was my case. And I just and I was in a band once where there were seven of us in the band and six of us were the youngest and seven of us were Librans. So we couldn't make a decision and <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a mess. But, um, yeah. Well, that's a truth though, isn't it? Because mum and dad... By that time, all their all their ideas about parenting, uh, who cares? You know, child three and four or whatever. Yeah, you, know, can, you can get away with murder, and I reckon that's right because there's not the expectations of a a government job uh, for the firstborn. You know, you got to have got to have security or work in a bank or be yeah. a lawyer or something. By the time they got to me, they didn't. They were just glad to get me out of the hair. I think. So. <laughs> but that, is that are you? Are you second or third? Oh, Brian, is I've got an older brother and that's it. But my mum was a teacher, my dad was a teacher, and my older brother was a teacher. So I thought, stuff it, I'm not going to be a teacher because <laughs> I could do it for yeah. 10 years and they'd still know more about it than me. So um, I just don't want to do anything different to them. That, that's a common thing though, isn't it? So oh, sure. uh, touring, have you got any sort of idea when that's likely to start? We're, we're looking at, um, I think, 2nd of April's our release date for the Get On Board vinyl Release, right? So, so um, we're going through April uh, and through May. I've the numbers, the digits, dates, and locations. I have no concept. I don't want to look at that until the night before when I'm packing yeah. my bag. Yeah. But there, you know, we've got the usual 
the, the website, Bad Love's website and Facebook page. I've got all those details. Pretty, it's pretty chancy, you know, in this climate. Yeah, I've got a, um, I've got a, a whole lot of stuff penciled in, but you just don't know whether it's going to happen or not. That's exactly right. And, and the pencils are getting a workout at yeah. the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not much in. Yeah, my whiteboard's been wiped clean a few times and then filled up again. <laughs> Um, with the new album that you're doing, is Barnes going to come and have another crack with you? <laughs> well, look, if if um, if there's time and if he if he still behaves himself, we we might give him a chance. He, he could do with a break. Yeah, you know, I reckon. So. Well, he, he's he's hard up for a he's job. Struggling. At the he's, he can't yeah, he's get any work. He's no. <laughs> he can't sell a book. He's disappeared off the face of the earth. Yes, <laughs> you know they're flying him in from New South Wales because there's no decent Victorian bands. Oh, it's just thank God for Barnsey. <laughs> hey, did you, um, uh, yeah. when you did that version of The Weight, because The Weight to me is is just one of the great songs of all time. I, I absolutely love Robbie Robinson, love the band, and, and always, thought oh, yeah. that, always thought that was a great song. Did you do that song with any trepidation? Was it one of those songs where, because you grew up in the 60s and 70s and were listening to that kind of stuff, did you fear that you might get, you know, a clip from some people because it was one of those iconic sort of songs? Uh, to be honest, uh, my confession here, my guilty confession. I I hadn't heard it done by the band. Really, I hadn't heard the original version of it. Um, oh, wow. Barnsley had, but not me. And and I heard uh, the Staple Singers. Oh, so, oh okay, uh, yep. So the singers version of it, and that's what I. That was my only reference point. And wow. and uh, so come the time to do it, we had the two styles sort of um, coming together, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, but yeah. we we. we um, we got a call when we were in Perth um, from Jimmy out of the blue, not having met him before, um, saying, you want to do this song, The Wait? And I said, you're not going to believe this, but we've be just been rehearsing that to put it in the set, but thinking we are listening to the same version. So when we got together, two different versions all together. Yeah, no, they're, they're miles apart, to be honest. Great, great song. Still don't know what it's about. Got no clue what the hell they're talking about. Absolutely no idea. No idea. Outside of the first line, after that, you're going in, hang on, this is dueling banjos lyrically. And is Fanny a girl or what are we talking about there? I don't know what Fanny is. Fanny could be the dog. No, Jack's the dog. Yeah, it could be anything. (laughs) It could be anything. Fanny or Annie, I still don't know. Oh, maybe it's a friendly Annie, I'm not sure. Um, you, You said you're releasing the album on vinyl. That's a great idea. Will yeah. Will you put it on Spotify and all of the other things later, or is the plan that you don't want people downloading the thing? You want to sell a few copies first. Yeah, well, that you know, because it's that that old record, it's probably it's probably there anyway. Um, I'm the worst. I you know, you rarely listen to your old records. Oh, um, please, I listen and- all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Except with the exception of X Men, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we just wanted to do it on vinyl because it, it seemed like. We did our second album on vinyl in, in about 96, 1996. Dead buried by then. No one was listening to vinyl. So I'm not quite sure what was behind it except us pushing the label to um, to release it on vinyl. I reckon but, vinyl's um, great. Vinyl's uh, being rediscovered by a lot of people now. And you can read the lyrics on vinyl and the artwork. You, yeah. CDs kind of killed all this fantastic artwork that albums used to have and they still do it now, but you can't see it good enough. No, I like the big agree. ones. but I um, So I think it's well, great. Great that you're doing it on vinyl. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and that thing where, well, for me personally, I grew up with with uh, vinyl on my lap, just just looking at every little detail, reading through. That's that's how I'd sit down with the cans on the headphones and and just with the artwork and just marvel at it and look at it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, so part of the journey, you know. So now I don't. 
What what do kids do with an MP3 file? What the hell is that about? Yeah, it, it used to be a very tactile experience, but well, now it's you they're know look, yeah. they're looking at their phone while they're doing that, or their tablet, or their other device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or sitting in the gutter. Have you noticed that trend? I've, I've got two young kids at the moment, but uh, there's this disturbing trend where they they sit in the gutter waiting for the bus. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yes, I have seen that. I didn't realise that was a trend. I just thought it was because most of the bus shelters in my area have been, um, you know, <laughs> broken, bent and uh, and destroyed. <laughs> I thought they were just copying me from lying in the gutter. <laughs> but, um, anyway. <laughs> hey, that, that album, that Get On Board album, uh, did, that surpri- did the success of that surprise uh, you as a band? Yeah, look, we had no idea because we were just totally ignored, which was cool um, <laughs> up until the point when it was released. Even the label were sort of wondering why the hell they bothered, I think. <laughs> so so it really it caught us by surprise, for, for sure. And, um, you know, we, we were the last man standing in terms of all our mates' bands that all, were all signed and released and everything for years earlier. So I, I don't think any, there was any great expectations. So so we were really genuinely surprised. We, we, we weren't giving up our our um, other jobs, you know, Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Brian often talks about the, you know, hearing your song on the radio for the first time. Do you still remember when you heard the first the first uh, track of uh, Get On Board uh, leaping out of a radio somewhere? Yeah, of course, for all of us, radio is a huge thing, you know, a big, huge part of our life. I was stung like a mother, literally. Uh. The same song that we've heard, you know, when you're recording it and all the rest, you, you hear it 10,000 times. But when you hear it on the radio, and especially in a in the context like walking down a I don't know supermarket aisle or, or yeah. something, it was it stunned me. I was the whole thing. That was the first time anything came home. It wasn't so much any awards or anything, but that first radio play. That's the ultimate trophy. I don't know how how you blokes felt, but but yeah. that that's how it was for me. It was just it, it, I was really humbled by it. You know, yeah. I couldn't believe it actually happened. But I had this funny. Sorry, mate. No, I was just going to say, it always sounds better on radio, and I don't know if that's just because yeah. my song's on radio or the compression that radio yeah, puts on it, but, it. Um, but yeah, it's like it's on the radio. Oh, it sounds <laughs> magnificent. <laughs> Actually, our song doesn't sound quite as loud as the one before it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the very first time you ever consider such things, isn't it, of comparing volumes and thinking, oh, right next to that was, was um, I don't know, Fleetwood Mac or yeah. Big Purple or something. You go, oh. Oh, well, it was right there next to them anyway. Yeah, so. fair enough. Are you going to say you had a funny experience with it on the radio? I had my, my daughter, who's now 27, um, she she was in the backseat of my car and we were, we were driving past, down St Kilda Road in Melbourne, past Triple M or approaching Triple M building when it was set, set up there. And, and she said, Dad, because I had a song called Ella that I released solo. Yep. And it was about her not seeing her all, all the time because I was on tour. And she said, Daddy, turn the radio on. Because I said, look, honey, there's that radio station that plays your song. And she said, turn the radio on. And I said, honey, it doesn't work like that. It's not going to be on because there's <laughs> lots of look at them. She said, turn it on, Daddy, turn it on. So I switched it on. Bang. It was there as we're driving. <laughs> I told you. Oh, wow. I told you to be on. My head was spinning. <laughs> you, that was a coincidence. Your daughter doesn't have this week's Tats Lotto numbers by any chance, does she? <laughs> <laughs> I should call. Yeah. Yeah, give her a call. Hey, I want to ask you about, yeah, yeah. about doing tours with people like Hall and Oates and Lenny Kravitz and stuff like that. Was that was that good fun, or was that kind of daunting? Given that you you talked about you know your anxiety with, with being on stage. 
Yeah, the anxiety pretty quickly went after the drinking solution. Uh, <laughs> in. Um, uh, but but um, no, we we had a few years under our belt by the time we played with with uh, with anybody else. So so yeah, I mean, Hall and Oates were, were interesting because I, I love soul, old soul stuff. So uh, even, even though they're the you know blue eyed variety, it was still still pretty good and Kravitz and things. But the overwhelming thing after the initial excitement of playing with big bands on on those stages and things was that they weren't really as good as local bands. This is what I came away with because, again, you forget how amazing uh, Australian bands are, you know, how they can play for a start. They can play damn well. So, and and Stagecraft and all the rest of it, you know, uh, Kravitz, everything was choreographed with Lenny Kravitz tour. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the sound checks were phenomenal. But the, but the gigs were so disappointing. He's in the same spot every night for the uh, light, and he says the same thing to the audience. It's like they're dead, like they're robots or something. It's like it's a, really pissed me like off. A I got really angry show or something. It's like a, when well, the solo well, comes, you will stand here, the light will come on you, we'll put this at the back, and yeah. yeah. And that, then, then I remember seeing B.B. King once, and he he's playing before you too. All these blokes, great big, you know, black blokes, all shoulder to shoulder, there was about 12 of them in the band and they played like just for not, they just brought the house down, the, the energy and the, and the sheer um, musicianship of them, you know. Uh, and then you 2 came out, there's only four blokes and they're spread out in different parts of the globe, you know, on yeah. stage and the whole energy just didn't work for me at all. I just didn't get it. Wow. And, yeah. Especially in light of, um, of, as I say, this, this phenomenal blues act that's been playing for a hundred years and, the, the lessons I got from internationals, I, I don't know how it was for you, Brian, but, but it was more that, oh, shit, actually what we're doing is way better because it's real and it changes night to night and you respond to the audiences and yeah. rather than this weird um, choreographed bloody thing that they've got going, you know? Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think, Sorry, a yeah. lot, I think a lot of Australian bands um, were better than overseas bands because we played more. We played live more. A lot of bands overseas, yeah, yeah. they might they – might, um, Record their song, and then you know, still haven't done a live gig until after it comes out. So I think the pub circuit in Australia served a lot of musicians very, very well. Or or a a producer gets twenty five people in to play all the parts of the song that you then have to try and reproduce on stage, as opposed to doing it the other way around. Yes, I I, I never understand that. Hey, Michael, is that is that what what you're talking about there? Is that made kind of jumping on stage in March or April of this year even more sort of special for you that all of a sudden you're going to be back on a stage and playing live to people, which you haven't done for a long time? Oh yeah, look, playing that album, you know, will be. be interesting because I'll have to learn the songs for a start. But, <laughs> but apart from that, I enjoy it now because you know because I'm not young, so I appreciate the fact that anyone turns up. You know, that a couple of people turn up to to, to hear you and they pay money for it. It's a pretty humbling um, situation, and I appreciate now where early days I, I was just survival psycho- <laughs> psychological survival on stage. But now now it's just joy. Like I, I just get a such a kick out of it. Um, playing, we've been Bad Loves have been touring for about sort of five years now, but just low key stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just loving it. It's just a ball. I, I, it feels half the time, and I'm sure it was the same for for you, Brian. When you're into interstate and stuff, you don't have a home. You're away from home. Yeah. And and that hour and a half or two hours on stage, that becomes home. Yeah. And that's the one thing you, you understand and, and you feel like yourself again. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly yep. right. 
Hey, we're going to play. We're going to play tribal. Uh, Brian uh, really likes tribal. Now, now this, this. I love the guitar riff in the other one. I love them both. Yeah, I like Soul Brother Ooh, Truck and Song. So we're going to. We're actually going to play them both. So we're, we're going to play tribal now mm-hmm. um, uh, in this part of the in the show. Um, now, this came from what a dream that you had, and you woke up and then wrote the song, that, that, which is something I'm. What I read about this, it's something that's not happened to you before, or something that doesn't happen often. Well, it's just that I'm a heavy sleeper, and and I don't I don't hear anything. I'm, I'm the worst guard dog in the world. Uh, if someone could break in, I, no, so I don't. I, I never remember my dreams. My missus remembers every detail of every dream, but I never do. So, so this one, this one just kept coming back, and I think it was, I think it came from the anxiety of of the whole COVID thing, where you, you're not sure where the next buck's going to come from, and whether you're eligible to get help from the government or what you know what's going on. So, and with two young kids. I started to sweat it a bit, and that kept coming. I kept waking up with that same idea. So, in a way, I didn't write a song. It came to me anyway. Listen, Michael, thanks so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing this uh, this new album, but also the uh, the re-release of uh, of Get On Board on vinyl will be uh, will be something else too. So, it's been lovely having a chat with you, mate. Thanks it certainly has. Good on you, Kevin. Thanks, Brian. No worries, Thank mate. You. All the best for 2021. You too. Thanks, mate. Cheers, fellas. Yeah.
make it right I will take my place with you this So Bad Loves, uh, that's Tribal. That's the last single they released, which was in the middle of last year, in the middle of all the COVID things. So if you missed it, jump on their website, which is thebadlovers.com.au, and you can check that one out. And you can check out a song that we're going to play to finish this podcast off, uh, which I love, called Soul Brother Truckin' Song. Yeah, I like the boy. Oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? Um, no, probably not. <laughs> I like the song. All right. Yeah. Um, I even so, like Al Green. Thanks. Thanks to um, thanks to Michael Spivey for uh, for joining us. He's a good fellow. All right. Our next guest, Brian, on uh, on the life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is, thanks to Murcotts, dot, edu, dot, au. That's one three hundred triple five five seven six. Now you uh, and we're, I'm, I'm, we're going to bring this up. I'm going to bring it up. I know you won't, but I'm going to bring it Please up with, bring with it, our bring next guest. That you actually on screen have played a jockey. I have, I have. Um, not very well, I might add. The of acting part of it act- or the jockey part of it. I think, well, both. Um, the Irish accent wasn't too great, too. Of all of my acting roles, this is probably the one that I was least pleased about. In fact, I was embarrassed about this one. It's enough time has passed now that I can talk about it, but at the time it was just something that was, do not mention that to me. Oh, okay. It, but it, now it's just one of those horrible failures where you go, well, that's a good anecdote. So well, I've seen it wasn't that bad. I think you've been a bit hard on yourself. Well, when I was at Sportsbet and the Irish came over and took Sportsbet, <laughs> yeah. they suddenly re- remembered the Irish jockey and they said, you were the, you were the guy with the worst accent in the hall. <laughs> it's the worst Scottish. And I, th- I thought it was okay, but it, apparently it was rubbish. Yes. Oh, it wouldn't be the first thing I've done that's rubbish. <laughs> but it is one of the hallmarks of Australian television in that sort of, uh, in that period where we did accents of other countries and we didn't do them well and yet we're the first to see someone try and do an Australian accent on an English show and go, oh, give us a rest. Yeah, give it a break, pal. I remember when they had proof. two Aussies, had two Aussies uh, on The Sweeney. Um, with uh, John Thor and Dennis Waterman, then the, love that show. They had these two Aussies who were, who were they, they, I think uh, John Thor might have dubbed them Lily and Thompson at the time. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were robbing banks and doing all that stuff, for, you know, getting into all the bother. Um, yeah, and they had these absolutely bloody awful Australian accents, and I remember watching and thinking, my God, surely you could do better than that. So. Don't feel yeah. too bad, Brian. I think I think the Americans are more tolerant of a, a bad American accent because there's so many variations of the American accent. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, the Australian accent it kind of is what it is. Oh, it's, it's very like hard very to do. A- you talk to any actors and stuff; it's it's incredibly hard to do. When Meryl Streep struggles with it, you know it's hard. I thought she was pretty good. Yeah, and so did I. 
And if you want to learn how to do a New Zealand accent, mm-hmm. you just do an Australian accent and you take out all the vowels. Right. That's all right. It. Well, let's get and to our guest because he is patiently uh, waiting and he's dying to talk to you, Brian, about your shared jockey experiences. Oh, I'm sure he is. <laughs> yeah, he's I'm a sure ripper. He is. Like, he is. I love him. Uh, Damien Oliver. Hello, Damien. How are you, Brian? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Now, I don't know if you know this, Damien, but Brian famously played an Irish jockey in about five or six episodes of Neighbours, so he kind of thinks he knows a bit about the caper. <laughs> I wasn't aware of that. No, I I don't because I went and had a ride. I went and had some lessons to learn to ride. And they said, oh, you're a jockey. Oh, the stewards are up really high. And you're standing on top of the horse. I was absolutely shitting myself. It was frightening. <laughs> so good for you, Damien. <laughs> How did COVID affect your lifestyle? Not a, not not very badly, to be honest. You know, racing continued, fortunately, pretty pretty resolutely uh, during yeah. the COVID period. We were able to keep working pretty much as normal, except obviously the, the crowds and the owners weren't allowed to go to the races. So, yeah, it didn't really affect us that, that badly, uh, uh, fortunately, for the racing industry. Yeah. Did you did consciously notice that the crowds weren't there, or are you just so focused on what you were doing? It doesn't really make much no, sense. Oh, no. Coming in the spring car, we really knew they weren't there. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a big difference. And you obviously, you know, you kind of miss that, that atmosphere and that tension that, that builds with the crowd coming into the spring car. For a guy that's been doing it for, you know, probably 30 years now, it was, it, it was kind of a bit more relaxed from, from my perspective, um, not having uh, the owners and the, the crowds there and that. And it kind of continued. But I did, I did feel a bit for the young guys, that, particularly young guys that had some, um, you know, success that they hadn't had as yet come, not come, be able to come back to the big crowd and the excitement of it all. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, uh, not having the owners there is, is in many cases for jockeys an absolute bloody godsend, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's, I'll tell you what, it was a little bit more relaxing, a lot more relaxing to be honest, and, and probably not quite as draining. Obviously the owners, you know, they build themselves up for the whole week leading up to the race and it's their sort of pleasure and um, release from life, I suppose, in some regards. But for us, it's, it's obviously still our work. So, you know, when you're coming out for eight or nine rides in a day and, you know, you, the, the energy that the owners have and the expectations, you know, for their horses to run, for us not to experience that every time we went out to the race was certainly not draining as, as, as much as the day went on, for sure. Yeah. I've got to ask you, um, have you done any singing lately? Mm, uh, only in the shower. No, because I remember we were at the Alana and Madeline Ball going back probably 10 years ago. And I think you'd ridden five winners of that day. And then on the way there, you listened to Macho Man in the car, learnt the song, then you and the jockeys got up and stole the show. Oh, it was a lot of fun those days, Brian. We really did enjoy those days. Um, good timing at the end of the spring carnival for everyone to let their hair down and enjoy and have a great experience. A lot of fun. No, it was great. Yeah, I love having a sing-along and I love my 80s sort of music and 80s and 90s as I was growing up, but um, yeah, no, yeah, never, never, never really a dancing or, or singing star, that's for sure. You didn't do dancing with the stars ever? No. Have you because been asked to I do those that. shows? Yeah, I have been asked a few times, but you know, with the busy racing schedule, it's really hard to sort of commit to those things when they, you know, they can go for Ten months or two sort of long, you know, it's a bit difficult. Because when I did it, I got down to 52 kilos. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm ready to ride. <laughs> so I just thought, well, if you're struggling, if you've got to worry about your weight, I reckon ballroom dancing is one of the best ways to lose weight, but um, you probably don't have time to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. 
How are you with your weight these days, Ollie? Has it changed over the years now that you've sort of approached the big five? Oh, is, is keeping the weight uh, a, a bigger struggle or has it always been reasonably easy for you? Oh, it's something you've got to continually work at. Keep pretty busy racing. There's, you know, there's racing seven days a week these days and a lot of night racing as well. So it just comes down to probably managing your, your schedule and your, your life and, and your diet and that as well. So, you know, probably... Um, I don't train as hard off the track these days as I'm getting a bit older, but you've still got to have a little bit of balance in your life and, you know, having your breakout days and that as well. Oh, so you do have a day where you go, right, forget the diet today. It's Big Mac time. Absolutely, yeah. I think once or twice a week, you've got to be able to let yourself down a little bit and then, you know, the rest of the week, keep it pretty tight. Oh, fair enough. Uh, do you use your three kids as the excuse to do the drive through <laughs> uh, Yeah, if it's not too busy, I do. My kids uh, pass for a bit of Macca's, so... Uh, and break out now and again doesn't hurt. Absolutely. Fair enough. So how many races would you do in a typical week? Um, probably every 60 to 70 rides a month. So, you know, that that probably you know, works out about, I suppose, 10 to 15 rides a week depending on the, on, on the, on the week. Now, Ali, wow. you, you're, not, you're not riding this afternoon or you're not riding today, but have you done any, any work at all today or is today an absolutely 100% day off from racing? No, today I was up at 3.30 and, and doing work at Caulfield at 4. Jeez. And I probably rode about 8 to 10 horses this morning. Here's a question for you. It always puzzles me. I'm not, you know, I'm not very smart, but I don't understand why you get the horses up at 3 or 4 in the morning when all the races are kind of in the afternoon. Wouldn't it be better to just train them in the same time of the day? What a great idea that would be, eh? <laughs> Let yeah. everyone sleep in and enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, we'll start, we'll start uh, the track work at about midday and um, we'll knock off at five. Mate. What a great idea. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. work, though, would it? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Hey, Ol, is there too much racing these days? Do you, do you reckon we're on the cusp of just having a little bit too much? Yeah, I think so. Um, the industry obviously relies on its turnover and, you know, the, the turnover has proven to be a bit better during the the night time, but I think for the people in the industry, it's you know, as you just said, we you know, the, the, they get up really early and train really in the early hours of the morning, they're still expected to go in late into the night these days. So the demands are relentless. So I think there's got to be some kind of balance between you know, the, the training in the mornings and the day racing and the night racing as well. So, yeah, I, I think there is a little bit too much when, when there's day and night racing as well. Do you, um, like, I suppose if you're doing the spring carnival and you're going to ride a certain horse, you'd probably do some of the track work with, with the horse in preparation for the race, I guess. But there'd be some times when you just lob up on the day, meet the horse about 10 minutes before you get on it, and off you go, wouldn't you? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I'd say that's probably at least quarter of the time where you've ridden right. a, riding a horse for the first time. And with your experience, you kind of, you know, you've got a short time to get to know them on the way to the barriers and a little bit like a first date sometimes, but um, <laughs> you're, um, you right? also get to, to look at videos of their replays and how they might like to race, and you're racing against them often enough. So, you know, with your experience, you kind of get to adjust to, to what's going to be the best way to ride them and suit them. Do you uh, do you swap <laughs> notes? Do the jockey swap notes about uh, particular horses if you get a chance? A little bit, yeah. You try and give them a little bit heads up, but you don't want to give too much away at the same time. Is the changing of the guard happening at the moment? The D. Oliver and C. Williams are, are, are being just edged out a little bit by some of the youngies coming through? Oh, it's constantly evolving. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm in the twilight of my career now. I feel pretty lucky that I've been able to do it for you know over 30 years now at a high level. 
you know, that experience can count for a lot, but it's obviously really important that the next generation is coming through as well. And, you know, I I love competing against the younger generation and and testing yourself against them. You're balancing up um, youth and flows exuberance against uh, experience and a little bit of guile as well. So it's a bit of horses for courses, you might say. Yeah, coming down the str- coming down the straight of Flemington. If if, if you're on uh, my horse, I'm a happy man, all. <laughs> Good to hear, Kev. Yeah. yeah. Um, you said before that you know when sometimes when you meet the horse and just ten minutes before the race or whatever, that it's a bit like a first date. Uh-oh. Can you tell us about one of the worst dates you've had? If, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, try to forget those ones. <laughs> A bit like real dates, isn't it? You try to forget yeah. the mad ones. Are you talking about the horse or the real dates now? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ollie, you're famous for screaming out and being very vocal during a race. What do, what sort of stuff do you yell out? Are you are you you're trying to get the horse g'd up? You're trying to get you g'd up? Are you trying to psych your uh, your opponents out? What are you you're What are you sledging. doing? Um, yeah, well, with, without the crowd noise, and yes. people are hearing the jockeys getting a little bit vocal with their horses and. Obviously, you know, in the last 100 or 200 metres when you're trying to get everything out of your horse, you're trying everything you can to get the best out of them. And sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're yelling and screaming at them, you can get that little bit extra out of them, you know, whatever means you can to, to get that last little bit out of them. And if it means the difference between winning and losing, it can be a small margin sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm willing to have a try at it. And I'm assuming right. that it's not, you know, OG Belvedere, let's go a little faster. I'm thinking it's more kind of, uh, you know, down the line of, come on, you bloody thing, let's get out of here and let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. A bit of yelling and screaming and, uh, yeah, as I said, it's, it works for some but not for others. So, you know, it's, um, you can usually feel when you're riding the horse if there's something that's a little bit more they're not quite giving you and that just comes down with experience of, um, you know, what you're feeling the horse is. Is, is giving you their, their best effort or not. You sledge the other jockeys, so like, you know, you look ridiculous in that hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I, when I see a colour that just doesn't suit another jockey, I'm just quite really keen to get into them on that one. And let's, let's be honest, some of the colours that, are, that you are forced to wear are, are, are nothing short of bloody horrible. Yeah, some of them wouldn't be my choice, but... Um, you don't. You don't get a choice, Kevin. You've got to. You've got to wear what you're given. Sometimes. Yep. I think Sherbert wore most of the same clothes on Countdown <laughs> back in the day. Anyway, yeah, I think you might be right. Actually, um, for you mentioned you're in the twilight of your career by by your own uh, sort of uh, standards. So, how much longer do you want to go for, and how much longer do you think you will go for? Oh, look, I'm just taking it year by year now. As long as I'm still going all right, feeling good, and um, getting good opportunities, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Um, got private school fees that are motivating me as much as anything these days. You have different motivations at different stages of your life and career. So yeah. that's, uh, that's keeping me going at the moment. So uh, I've got a few years of those left yet, and uh, I'll keep on going while I can. Could so, you see yourself becoming a trainer down the track? Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's a big responsibility. You know, I've got a good understanding for the horse, and, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot over the years from the, from the industry, but... It is a big responsibility and it's pretty demanding as well, not only from the horse's point of view but from the owners as well. So, yeah, I'm not, not really sure on that if I want to really devote the latter years of my life to that to that extent, but I'm sure I'll stay in the industry in, in some in some way. I would have thought uh, riding in the Melbourne Cup would be a bigger responsibility, but, you know, what would I know? But, yeah, well, tell us about the Melbourne Cup days. Is that, have you done it so many times that 
you know, you can control your nerves or do you always get a bit worked up at Melbourne Cup? Come on. Yeah, look, um, it's, there's no great race quite like it, particularly in Australia. And, and I've, I've heard jockeys from, say, from all over the world, I've never seen quite a build-up like it. So it's, it's, it's an amazing race. And, you know, if, if, if you don't get a few nerves leading into it, I'm always a great believer if, if, if you don't get nerves leading to something like that, that it actually doesn't mean anything to you. And the nerves aren't a bad yeah. thing as long as they don't get the better of you. Mm. Um, they keep you on on your toes, and as long as they don't overcome you, um, you can channel those nerves into into good responses and and get the best out of yourself. That I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, my when I was doing Wheel of Rocky, I'd be nervous as hell waiting to go on, and I said to the um, company manager, I said, "Why am I still getting nervous? I've done 150 of these shows," and he said, "It's because you still care about it." And I thought, "Yeah, I do." Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Absolutely, and and you find once you start, once once you get into a race, that the nerves settle down, and you're in your comfort zone, kind of thing. There, but it's the anticipation and the build up to it that probably you feel that more than anything. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. It's like once you get into it, yeah, you're okay. But just that waiting and waiting, and then sort of like, oh god, I hope I could, you know do everything right, or I don't make mm-hmm. any mistakes. And um, yeah, but yeah, you, I still get nervous when I sing because you know you just want to, you want to be good. Yeah, you don't want to let yourself down and all the people around you, do you? Yeah. No, not at all. Oh, not what about what about that thing where you know where and it's happened to some jockeys where you lose your nerve, not nerves, you lose your nerve. Yeah, that's um, that's an interesting one, Kevin. Um, obviously, it's a pretty dangerous sport. You know, if you do it long enough, you you're going to have your fair share of accidents and incidents, and and, and some of those, you know, seeing jockeys lose their life or have career-ending injuries. So you know that there's a lot of scenarios in a race that can occur where, you know, it, it can get scary, you know, and, and once that overcomes you, well, then, you know, it becomes very difficult to, to do your best at it. So, you know, it, it, it's probably time to look at doing something else. Yeah. Yep. Do you play golf or do any other sports, Damien? Oh, does he? Yeah, I enjoy golf and um, and surfing. They're probably my, my two favourite sports and I, I love watching AFL as well. Oh. I reckon you'd go a lot at the surfing because your balance would be really good for the horse riding, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's something I've done since I was a young fellow and it's one of those sports, it's hard to pick up when you're a bit older, but if you've done it since you were young, it's, um, it's great. And it's a good release from racing as well, whereas racing can be pretty demanding and, it, and it's a good release from that as well, I find. Yeah. And who do you follow in the AFL? Uh, the mighty West Coast Eagles. West Coast Eagles? Oh, of course. Yeah, you're a Perth boy. Perth. Yeah. Yep. I am, yeah. Yep. Hey, now, no, Damien, importantly, Sorry, they do the cup too. You'll clearly be you'll, you'll clearly be recasting Stephen Curry and putting Brian Mannix in the uh, in the Damien Oliver role, surely. Well, I must be doing the latter years of his life. Yeah, exactly. Play, <laughs> I think we're. Yeah. I'm, 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 I think we're pretty safe for uh, the Cup too, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've were you happy with the movie? It was a good movie. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, racing movies are always a little bit difficult, and especially when you know the ending. I suppose it was a yeah, know, it was a pretty special part of my life, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's not one for me to judge, it's probably more for other people to judge. Yeah, I know. Probably a bit close to you to look yeah. at it objectively. I thought it was a, a most enjoyable film, but yeah, no, you got to get Mannix, Mannix in the role. He, his Hong Kong jockey is uh, to be seen, to be believed, Damien, seriously, just uh, <laughs> no one quite says Happy Valley the same way Brian does. Well, you know what you're doing. 
Hong Kong, because I my horse. Oh, it was terrible. It was. It was. Hey, Damo, thanks so much for your time, mate. We really appreciate it. Uh, continued good luck, and uh, uh, you're one of the best that there's ever been, and uh, good luck with the uh, with the racing, and also good luck with the cricket coaching with your, your kids and the underage uh, cricket. <laughs> thanks, guys. Great to have a light-hearted chat with you. Good on you, Damien. You're a champion, mate. Good on you. See ya. All right, champion jockey. You don't get to, you know, win Melbourne Cups and Cox Plates and Caulfield Cups and Scobie Breasley medals and stuff. He's, he's a champion. Good he, to have a chat to him. He'd be pretty cashed up, I reckon, uh, Kev. Oh, you think? <laughs> well, I don't know what you're on for the ride, but if you win the Melbourne Cup, you'd probably get 5 or 10% or maybe 15 wouldn't you? 5 is the percentage that I think is required it's... to be given, and if you have a generous owner or, and whatever, you can get more than that. So what's the Melbourne Cup worth? $6 million. So you'd get 600000 for the race? 300000 basically, is, is the standard fee this for is the, the winner. minimum, but, yeah, yeah. okay, so 300000 for the race, but you might have won another four or five races during the Spring Carnival. So the Caulfield Cup, you won that as well. That'd be a good payer, yep. wouldn't it? Yep. I think uh, jockeys love money. Uh, <laughs> that's why they do it. Mind you, keep in the back end, Brian Martin, the great race caller, always reminds me of this. Whenever we talk about, uh, you know, jockeys and the money and all that, and the glamour and all that sort of stuff, he always says to me, it's the only profession in the world where an ambulance follows you around as you do your job. Yeah. No, as, as we mentioned in the thing, like, I did the jockey stirrups and it is absolutely terrifying because, yep. you, you know, like the horses are huge and um, they risk yep. their lives every time they go out there and, you know, poor old Damien's brother was killed in a... In a, um, in a, a riding accident, accident. And yep. there's a lot of people, jockeys, so, you know, they probably deserve the money because they oh, risk absolutely. their lives every time they go out. We didn't ask Ollie, but uh, the uh, the broken bones and uh, and time spent in hospital and that would be would be enormous over the over the journey, so... Do you know what I asked him? Do you know what I asked him off air? No, what do you ask him off here? Could he lend me six hundred grand? It's <laughs> <laughs> the most sensible thing you've asked any guest who's ever been on this program. And you know what he said? He gets stuffed. Well, he didn't say stuffed, but you're yeah. on the right track. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and use that term of endearment we were talking about earlier in the program. I'm probably and you thought he said hello, Rick, but he didn't. <laughs> Wasn't saying hello to Rick at all. Uh, I want to remind you about Murcotts. They'll look after you behind the wheel of your car. If you want to be better at it and you need to be better at it and you want the people around you to be better at it, get in touch with Murcotts. Murcotts.edu.au has all the details of what you need to know and give them a call and have a chat. They're nice people. one 576 Don't forget the Bad Loves uh, website. Uh, it's thebadloves.com.au. They're on Facebook as well. They're gigging um, uh, very soon around all parts of Australia, so make sure you get out and, uh, and see them live because uh, they are terrific. You're gigging around the place too, so you can check out uh, all the uh, social media platforms to find out where you're playing as well, Brian. Yes, I am. And I, it's just back on Murcotts again. I think mm-hmm. so, a point that you're missing is that it's really fun you know, doing the course, like you, what you learn and stuff, it's like, you know, sometimes it can sound like it's a bit of a chore to go and do a bit of a driving course, but it's actually really, really great fun and you yep. become a better driver. So, you know, that's another reason to do it because it's actually good fun. You'll have a good time. Uh, all, all right. right. How about, mate? Let, let's finish off with uh, another Bad Love song. This is the uh, the song we talked about earlier and the song we spoke to Michael about. Soul Brother Trucking Song, it's called. I think it's a beauty. Um, it's uh, one that you is available. It. Available on their website if you want to uh, jump on and, uh, and grab that. Uh, so we thank Michael. We thank Damien Oliver for being on the program. I uh, want to tell you that coming soon... Thanks, Jamie. Ryan, <laughs> Damien. <laughs> um, coming soon... Sorry. 
uh, Jamie Oliver, Nigella Lawson, the Hooter Gurus, and Richard Clapton. Guess which of those two of those four we actually have uh, uh, lined up for the show? Um, Nigella scoops. and Jamie. Yep. Scoopy. Yes. <laughs> um, <Good>. Scoopy. <laughs> um, Hoodoo Gurus and ba- and Richard Clapton coming soon to, uh, uh, a, as well as a whole stack of other people. So looking forward to that. We had that. a really good chat with those guys. Um, yeah. Good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the chat and I hope our uh, listeners will too. They will. In future episodes, check out the uh, the previous episodes of this program, including Shake and Stevens, uh, Johnny Rotten, Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, Peter Hitchener. They're all Dick there. Dick Smith. Up on our, uh, on our Facebook page. If you, and don't forget, if you'd like to see me and Kevin in the nude, just go to our Facebook page and have a look at the Polaroids we took yesterday. They're absolutely brilliant. Bye, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Kev.
try to track me down Yeah, but I left all that trouble in town I see the road ahead of me And it's alright To move on Keep on trying Keep on Keep on trying Right on Good on Keep on trying To the light So, brother, trucking 